Corinthians 5. Ephesians 5. Uh, How about we stand for the reading of his word? Ephesians 5, verses 28 through 33. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. You may be seated. Um, Oh, man. Please stand by. I read the directions. Testing, one, two, three. Uh, Wow, okay, so let's start over. Um, I was just getting ready to say that I'm such a pastor wanting to get things right because I have a reverence for the Lord when I share His Word that I don't ever want to misinterpret His Word. And yet when I read these scriptures to the husbands, um, I hope, men, that we realize that we cannot do what the Lord wants us to do without Him. You know, I titled this message, you know, this, is, this is typical me, I've got to be honest here, okay? I titled this message, Marriage, God's Way, Part 3. That's boring. During worship, the Lord titled the message, Man the dwelling place of God. You know, when I go over these things, um, you know, my flesh just wants to read, you know, will touch on marriage and then just be done in a week because I realize that there's a lot of emphasis on the man. And I understand my own personal shortcomings and uh, of how I minister to my wife and who, uh, how I fall short in doing that in a way that, God describes in his word, you know, to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. That's deep. In one sense, you well, we're not the son of God. We're not, we're not the Messiah. But nevertheless, the Lord gives us a standard that is only going to happen is if I allow God to work in my life, i.e. if I surrender to the Lord. 
It's the only way. This, this is not, you don't go to uh, marriage counseling outside of, you know, you don't go to secular marriage counselors and expect to see that. In fact, you won't see this. Because it's apples and oranges. But in the Word of God, we have the one who has created marriage. We have the one who um, invented it. And uh, following His way is the only way for us. Anything else, any other way is falling short. And so, <clears throat> this command, as we've seen to, for men, to love your wives as Christ has loved the church, we've seen on one sense it's a willingness And that's step number one, right? We have to be willing to allow God to have control of our heart in order for us men to love our wives. And in other words, my relationship with the Lord has to be in a good place before I can do this. Because I can guarantee you right now, Satan's telling some of you men, yeah, but Jim, you do not know what I live with. I'm not joking. It's a lie from the enemy. And so the enemy wants us to move us, he always wants us to move away from the Word of God, right? Always. It's from the beginning in the garden. He wants man to move away from the Word of God. And then ultimately we fall short of the glory of God, especially in marriage. And so here, willingness. It's interesting, no one forced Jesus to die for the church, did they? He was sent on a mission and he willingly laid down his life, demonstrating his great love. And so we never really have to ask Jesus how much he loves us because he's already demonstrated that at the cross. And you know what? If we're loving our wives as Christ has loved the church, our wives will never ask us if we love them. That sticks in my heart. And then to love sacrificially. The love in which God loves us is agape love. It's not a a feeling of love, but one of absolute commitment based on a love for another followed by action. And again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word gave then. He gave His only begotten Son. He gave we did not earn him. He gave it. And not because we were so good or that we earned that or, in, or merited it in any way. He gave his son. So these next couple of verses we see husbands ought to love their wife. And we're going to look at practical, practically I should say. And so up to this point, if we read verses 28 and 29, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. So up to this point, the picture given to us is that we are the bride of Christ. And now it's changing the Apostle Paul. He's changing to portray or to illustrate the body of Christ, the oneness we have with Christ. And Jesus, as you know, is the head of the body, and this speaks of oneness. It's a knitting together, woven together, and this is how God desires for the husband and wife relationship. It is one. 
knitted together. And marriage, my wife is my bride, but she also is a part of me. That's a good thing, right? It should be a oneness. It's how God created marriage, one flesh. And so, just as the church is the body of Christ, Jesus cares for us, so as the husband is to care for his wife. And, um, and then it says here, no one has hated his own flesh. In verse 29. So let's wrap our minds around this because this is so contrary to the elementary principles of this world. Paul is saying here something that we might not like, husbands. In fact, none of us would. But built into what he is saying is that we love ourselves. We love ourselves. True or false? True. We love ourselves. This is the human condition for all. We love ourselves and we are to love our wives as we love ourselves. And so, it's simple. Love your wife as you love yourself. But again, built into this, uh, this intuition or this philosophy uh, of, of God's perspective, I should say, because the world, again, in its empty philosophy, tells us that the leading problems of the day have to do with people having a low self-esteem. And they just need to love themselves. How, hey guys, when you watch football today, watch the commercials and how much they appeal to you and to your wants and your desires and the things that you think you need. Because you deserve it, right? You're you. You need to love yourself so you'll be a better person for the world. But the truth of it is, that's the opposite of what the Bible says. We used to joke around years ago, the problem with man is that three-letter word, Seth. <laughs> we can't spell. S-E-F equals S-I-N. <laughs> right? When we love ourselves, the that is contrary to the Scriptures, then we elevate ourselves to every thought and every action. And that includes putting ourselves over God. And Jesus talked about this. Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 39. Or you can read it on the screen. The capital letters here is a reference to this is in the Old Testament. Okay? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Built into what Jesus was saying here, again, is what we see, what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, love your wives as you love yourself. It's, a, it's an already given thing that you love yourselves. Jesus is not saying love yourselves more. He is saying love your neighbor as you love yourself because you already love yourself. Put your neighbor ahead of yourself. It's others-minded. What about Luke chapter 9, verse 23, verse 26? And he was saying to them all, 
If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father of the holy angels. That's powerful things Jesus was describing. And then if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, there's the standard. The very first things that we need to do is to follow after him. That speaks of willingness. I'm going to follow after the Lord. How am I going to do that? In a way that the Lord prescribes. And then we must bear our cross, carry the cross. That means speaking of surrendering my life to the Lord. That's not going through life and, and putting things on our back trying to reach God. He's not. Jesus never meant that or never said that. But to take up our cross and to follow Him. Deny self. And the greatest example that we have is Jesus Himself. I was so blessed this week. Um, you know, I'll have people pray for me or ask, how can I pray for you? And, I, you know, I got the standard answers. Strength and wisdom, would you please? Because I deal with a lot and I got to give counsel and this, that, and the other. Strength and wisdom, please. But I got a phrase this week that um, said, I hope that you are a blessing to others. Man, that resonated in my heart. See, we can get in ruts and we can get in, you know, in the way of our own selves and as Christians, and then we miss out on the Lord Himself. And so I go to a pastor's conference this week over in uh, Hartford City, Indiana, and the theme of it was essentially, or what I took of it was just being a blessing to others. How do you do that? Well, you look at Jesus. And putting others ahead of ourselves. Now that doesn't mean you cave or you compromise on the things that the Lord shares, that you just forsake everything. And No, you be a blessing to others. That's our mindset. And so when we take that mindset or this thought, if you will, in our marriage... We see here that Paul says, he gives us examples, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Words are important. And these two words for the husband, they will just, hopefully, just get in your heart this week. That you would nourish and cherish your wife. The word nourish means to care for to build up it speaks of the idea of bringing something to maturity so jesus nourishes us he cares for us he's demonstrated but he just didn't go to the cross and say okay you're on your own no he desires to build us up to encourage us building us up and growing us in our relationship with him and serving him Jesus is the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And he nourishes us as a shepherd. 
And then, so we men, if we take this as loving our wives as Christ has loved the church, so we husbands are to treat, and really it starts again with the willingness, right? With the mind. It has to be in the mind and the will to do this. We must treat our wives in a way that will build her up, strengthen her, and help her reach her full potential in Christ. See, right now I'm convicted. I'm a sarcastic person. Somebody's going to say amen, I know that, but I'm very sarcastic, and I mean no harm, but I am. And it's a flaw, and I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But I'm telling you, when you ask the Lord, Lord, we read these scriptures of husbands loving their wives, I want to do that, but you've got to help me. You know how one way He will help you? is that he'll use the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in your life. And when you're sarcastic and say something that wasn't edifying or really didn't need to be said, even though you were joking because that's who you, you know, the Lord uses that. Not to tear us down, but to build us up so we can love our wives to nourish them, and then the second word, cherish. You know, so as we love our wives as Christ has loved the church, we want to, you know, what is our goal for our relationship with her? How are we to be the spiritual leader? One of them ought to be, how do I help build her up in Jesus to be the woman that you want her to be, Lord? We don't think of that in very often, do we? But we ought to because that's part of being a spiritual leader. That's part of loving our wives as Christ has loved the church. And then again, the second word, cherish, means to use tender and physical affection to give warmth, love, comfort, protection. And again, Jesus, he cherishes us just like a shepherd does a sheep. And we're sheep, right? He, he guides us. Um, he cherishes us. And... Um, and you've noticed, uh, I hope you notice, that in these scriptures that we have looked at with the husband loving their wives, there's no way here that it says for the wife to love the husband. And you've got to ask yourself, why is that? Does not the Lord want you wives to love your husbands? That's not it. You are to love your husbands. But it's interesting, there's so much emphasis on the husband to love the wife. As it says before, even the passages that we've been looking at, we are to submit to one another in love. But again, the Lord is showing us this wonderful picture of Christ and the church. And if the husband is seeing the Lord and loving his wife as Christ has loved the church, there is going to be a response from the wife I'm not saying perfection or speaking that it's going to be perfect but I call it the build in the intuition if the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church the wife follows try it you'll like it that's how the Lord speaks to me try it you'll like it I can tell you, and I've shared with this, and uh, there's times that, you know, when it's not perfect, use my words carefully here, um, 
when things get funky in my house, it's because of me. We always have to seek the Lord first. And if I'm seeking the Lord and gaining that strength from Him, it will trickle down. Always. Another reason the wife is not instructed to, to love the husband as Christ has loved the church, I do believe because the wife has been created to be loved. Understand, as human beings, the man and the wife were not created the same. What's one of the greatest needs, guys, that you have? Yeah, we, we want to be number one. We, we, want to, we want our wives to say, you're, you're number one, obviously behind the Lord. But you, we, want to be, we want to be number one. We want to be told that we're great and we're awesome and we're so appreciative of you, right? That's, that's man's right behind sex. Let's get real, all right? But then for the, for the woman, God's created her in such a way that her number one need, and ladies, I think you'll agree, is to be loved. Wives need to know that they are loved by their husbands. And when wives know that they're loved by husbands, it happens just like the Scripture says. The, love, the man loves the, the wife as Christ has loved the church. Then, that word that we haven't touched on today yet, submission follows really when we want to be number one it's that submission we don't want our wives to question us we get angry at that because we got pride in our hearts we want to be number one we're smart we're full of wisdom you should just do what i say when i say it that type of thing right now we obviously take it too far men calm down <laughs> Jeez, they get excited over that get excited about the lord i read this and i think it's so true. This is from a commentary this week. No admonition to the husbands could have been more countercultural to the Roman, Greek, or Jewish man. Instead of being the ruler of the household, he is to be its servant. The husband's obligation goes far beyond being sexually faithful to his wife. And, and no teaching anywhere in Roman, Greek, or Jewish writings is such a solution to the problem of disunity within marriage put forth. Rather than focusing on the rights of the husbands and wives, rather than providing financial incentives for the promotion of marriage, Paul drove right to the heart of marital unity by presenting the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as the model for the relationship of the husband and wife. One thing that I haven't touched on going through these scriptures is in that culture, this was radical things that Paul was talking to the church. Again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because women were viewed as what? Maybe just a little bit higher than property owned. Slaves. And so these things that he's saying, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. How does Christ love the church? He came to serve the church. We're not to be served. We're to serve. And again, when we serve our wife, there's going to be that submission and then there's that harmony that we've been talking about. 
the wonderful spiritual harmony that God has created for the husband and wife to be one and God being able to accomplish what He wants to do in the marriage. Number one, companionship. But if I, if I in my marriage, well, submit, 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 because that's what it says, right? And it's my right. Or I'm going to love my wife as she loves me. That's where a lot of men are. I'll love her as long as she's not burning the toast or folding the laundry, those types. We, we want something back in return, but when Christ went to the cross, there was no expectations because He came to save and to serve. Now, to get you know, real practical, how do we build up our wives? Men, the number one thing we should be doing for our wives is to be praying for them. And I'm telling you, daughters, to pray for, to pray for them. Young men, pray for them. Because there, it's such a... We live in a society as Satan has entered in you know, at the garden and how Satan has attacked the family. One way he attacks the wife is to tell her that, you know, you're not beautiful. Look, look at that model on TV. That's, that's what you ought to look like, but you're so out of tune. <laughs> you know, and all that stuff on TV and the posters and all what the world says a woman ought to be and, and a daughter or a 16-year-old child or whatever, that's not it. But that's what Satan has brought in. And that he wants the woman to feel that she's falling short. Vanity, vanity. So, we need to pray for our wives. And then, verse 31, it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, I'm going to go back uh, well, we'll connect the dots here. This, you know, again, capitalized in your Bibles, this is what Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25 is saying. This is the quote. Paul quoted Scripture here in the New Testament. And we see here, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We see four things here that speak loud and clear when it comes to building harmony in the marriage number one is severance it says here for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother shall leave or and i think new king james it says cleave or uh, uh cleave or is that the joining that's the joining i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of myself whose phone is that distracted no i'm joking a severance. There must be a leaving of the father and mother. To paraphrase it, there must be the cutting of the apron ties for the man and the woman coming together in marriage. And perhaps this is more applicable to younger people. But I also understand that as you have grown in your faith, 
growing older and having children who are now married, this applies to you and maybe, maybe a word of an encouragement or an exhortation. Cut the ties. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a severance. There is a no clinging in this. Oftentimes, the view of marriage from our children come from where? From what they see in their parents. And so the natural tendency is, well, we're going to do marriage like I've witnessed in my mom and dad. For some of us, that might not have been that great, but um, that's, again, the natural tendency. And the natural tendency is when things get a little bit rough in the marriage is to go where? To mom and dad. Mom or dad or mom and dad. And that is dangerous. Because sometimes, I've seen this with the daughter, they expect their husband to be like their dad. And when that doesn't happen, guess what? They're discouraged. Because all they've ever seen in marriage is their dad. And it's the same way, and especially, maybe even worse, with the wife. When a son... Well, she's nothing like my mom. Well, she's not supposed to be. <laughs> There's only one, one of your mom. There's one. And so, you catch what I'm saying here? There has to be a cutting. Not that the parents and grandparents can't ever give counsel. It's not that. But the dependency of the two coming together to be one is the Lord, not the parents. And it's so important that we, as parents, give that counsel uh, to our children in the Lord. If they're non-believers, then you just got to help them out as much as possible, but that's not the best way. The best way is right here from the Word of God. So, and then we see a distinctive number two from, from this. They joined or cleave. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, or cleave. The word join and cleave, it speaks of being glued together. You ever see how they make plywood, those OSB uh, sheets? All that wood particles and everything, it's glued together. It's glued together, and why do they glue it together? Well, because it gets strengthened. And so when the husband and wife are joined together, there's a strengthening, Right? The picture also really is this joining together means fasten one yoke or two yoke together. The picture is two oxen which have been yoked together to pull a plow, and when that yoke, that yoke's no longer two, but it's one. To separate them would sabotage all that their owner has planned for them. So when you think about that in marriage, God has destined the man and woman to be joined together. It's his way. He's instituted uh, uh, marriage for his purposes. And so we must be equally yoked. We must be yoked. The two are one. There's a a far beyond just companionship, but a, a supernatural oneness that exists in marriage. And again, we might see... Um, you know, Jesus in John chapter 17, when he's praying the high priest uh, prayer to the Father, he prayed for you and I, for us to have oneness in the body of Christ, just as the Father and Son have, have oneness. So, number three, let's look at, they shall become one flesh. Another distinctive here. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. Again, the capital letters 
refer to this as something that's in the Old Testament. And here we see Jesus quoting Genesis chapter 24. Or excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So a couple things here. Number one, from the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. What's that mean? We've got to ask the question these days, right? What's that mean? A boy and a girl. A boy and a girl. A male and female. God intentionally made a distinction between the sexes. It was no afterthought. The whole creative process, beginning the very first day of creation, aimed at these great facts. Number one, God intended to have a race of humans that was divided into two recognizable sexes, male and female, biologically and physiologically different from one another. And so in the marriage relationship, he desires to take the two who are different, male and female, and to make them one. He transforms the male and female into one as two people come together. And isn't it amazing, and probably many of you, how different are you than your spouse? I'll pick on myself. Everybody knows that Jane and I are different. So much different, right? We won't go into the differences. She's not here right now to defend herself, so... No, but we are different. Personalities different. I used to chuckle even before we got saved. <laughs> the man upstairs, he has a sense of humor, you know. But isn't it wonderful what God can do? Only God could do this to transform a man and woman who is different, even different likes, different personalities, but yet he meshes them. And they are transformed into one. And that goes against what marriage is today in the world. It's not about love in the world, it's about lust. So often young people get together, and that's not even young people, let's not pick on young people. But when two are married, they already got in their mind, it, it might not last. And that goes to the foundation of marriage. What is marriage? That's why pre-marriage counseling is a must to understand what is marriage and how does it work. It's not just for young people, it's for old people. Let me rephrase that, older people. You know, I'll get myself in trouble. It's funny, I get to do a a ceremony next week and I'm kind of (laughs) really struggling. I'm struggling because a couple, they've been married now for, what, over a year, two years, almost two years, and they don't want anything traditional. 
So, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I keep finding myself going back to Genesis chapter 2. But I got some tricks up my sleeve to challenge. Because I'm telling you, after two years, you might think you have it figured out. <laughs> and the rest of us chuckle, right? <laughs> but it goes to the point. When God brings a man and a woman together, and they are transformed. Again, this can only happen in Christ. Only God can do this. So we're speaking of godly people. Two ungodly people are not going to have this wonderful supernatural thing that God does. Oh, the marriage can be good, but cannot fulfill the purposes of God. Again, marriage together, companionship, oneness, joining together, showing the love of Christ, demonstrating who Jesus is and the Father's love. God does that when the marriage is built on the right foundation. And when we see these things, it's interesting to think how He fuses us together, that there's a goal in it all. It's interesting to think in terms of this oneness at, at that moment of when you say, I do, I look around here, guys, when you said I do, you weren't thinking of this stuff. You were just happy. But just think about when two believing man and wife, they get together, it's a meshing, it's a oneness. It is so powerful, and God can only do that. But that's not the end of it. There's a growing process of transformation. Changes have to be made, right? But it's growing and God gives grace and He pours out to the people and they depend on Him and they go through their struggles. They go to their mom and dad and eh, she's not like you and all this, that and the other. But it's a growing thing. And isn't it interesting? It mirrors our relationship with Christ. There was a moment, there was a moment when I said yes to Jesus. And automatically, they're instantaneously, right at the moment, we're filled with, you know, the Holy Spirit lives in us. But that doesn't mean we've completely changed. We completely change, I'm a child of God. But there's a process, right, of transformation that takes place. A growing, sanctification, growing in Jesus. And sometimes I do believe the Lord just chuckles at us. And he's like, I think I'm going to intervene now because I'm going to demonstrate my glory. And I say all that to say this. It's not about perfection. My relationship with Jesus isn't about perfection other than what he did at the cross. That's perfection. And it's the same way in marriage. He wants to pour out himself in our marriages and do what only he can do. And that can only come through obedience. Now, the fourth then, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, or read it on the screen. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is interesting. I believe this speaks of intimacy. The intimacy described here speaks of a mutual love and respect and commitment to each other. And the results then were security and intimacy, when there's severance that, you know, untying the apron strings or cutting the apron strings, 
the joining together and the unity is, is in operation. There's that mutual love and commitment. That respect is developed. At this particular time, we remember, sin had not entered into the world, right? When does sin enter the world? Well, we know, Genesis chapter 3. This is still Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. The world is all perfect. Man's not alone anymore. God gave him Eve, and he joined them together, but God gave them free will. They sinned, and sin entered into the world. And when sin entered the world... They had to cover themselves, and they were ashamed. They had guilt of sin. When, when the Lord put them together, when the two became one, it was perfect. There was no sin. And so, what can hinder your marriage? Sin hinders your marriage. Guys, we have to understand, loving our wives as Christ has loved the church, my sin, whatever it might be, whatever if we want to say big sin, little sin, 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 it will affect our families. Point being, we have to look to the Lord. We have to look to the Lord. If we want to love our wives as Christ has loved the church, we must look to the Lord, seek the Lord, be strengthened by the Lord, and depend on the Lord. And so we'll close with verse 32 and 33 together. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reverence to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Amen? Well, I thank